Welcome to Performance Anxiety. This week's guest is Fabio Brienza of Varaha. He moved from Rome as a teenager and found his musical community in Chicago. He compares and contrasts the metal scene in Rome to the scenes in Chicago. He also has a background in film, and we discuss how writing Varaha's music is a lot like making a film. There's tension and release necessary in both to be successful. He also tells me how he incorporates orchestral elements like strings and brass into metal. Check out their epic work at VarajaBand.com, Prosthetic Records, Bandcamp, or wherever you buy music. Follow Varaha on social media for news. Follow us at Performance ANX. Subscribe, rate, review, share, and now let's give a warm virtual welcome to Fabio Brienza of Varaha. Got it. Hi, this is Fabio Brienza from Varaha, uh, from Chicago, saying hello, and I'm very excited to be talking at Performance no, I'll try it again. <laughs> <laughs> now, I might use that one anyway, because no. I like to take the worst ones. Don, please, Don. <laughs> Performance anxiety. <clears throat> Hi, this is Fabio Brianza from Varaha. I'm very excited to be talking here at Performance Anxiety Podcast. Thanks for having me. Okay, I got you. I, I, I need to, like, I told me a brainstorm about the touring part. I, you know, I completely forgot about that question. Like, oh, was, in reality, touring is always a blur. I'm going to say that. You know, that's a cool thing about it. I have heard that so many times. Like, you don't remember cities, you don't remember anything. You just kind of remember the really great shows and the really terrible shows. Uh huh. That's, that's, I had uh, Brett from Astronoid on recently. That, that's, he's like, I don't remember any of the venues. He's like, I remember some of the bands we toured with. And I remember the tours, uh, the shows that were complete disasters. The, uh, that's about all I remember. <laughs> I feel you. Cool. I'm all set here. So whenever you want to get started, you know, like. Awesome. Well, what I want to find out first is a little bit about your history, how you got into music. Because you're, you're from Italy. Where, where in Italy are you from? I was born and raised in Rome in Italy. And... So it's kind of weird. I lived half of my life there and half of my life here in the States. So it's kind of interesting how I have this cultural background in Italy and I'm very, very grateful for um, being raised there because really there's, even when you're born and raised in Rome, the city affects you. Like it's not just a tourist, you know, when you're born in Rome, you can walk down the avenues, you can walk around and you feel the city talking to you. So it's kind of weird, you know, make this very different parallel between Rome and Chicago because Rome is like this beautiful frame for a painting, but it's your responsibility to fill that painting with okay. stuff. Chicago, on the other hand, who cares about the paint, the, the frame, you know, around it? It's like, yeah, it's industrial, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. It's winter suck. Yeah. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> yeah. I but, have heard that so much. I don't. I've never. You know, Chicago is one place I've never been to. But a, and that's a difference. You know, Chicago is like a industrial frame, but the content, what's inside the painting, it's what talks to me. Uh, the diversity of the people, the different cultures, the different languages, the art, the artistic community is absolutely, absolutely amazing. The music community is very strong and diverse, and a lot of us known each other for so many years and. Everybody's doing their own thing. So it's not just about doing music. You know, some people like, you know, I own a print shop. Some people make T-shirts. Some people own a metal pizzeria or a metal bar, you know. So everybody's doing something very different, but we're all connected. Okay. And 
when did you start getting into music? Were you, uh, what did you start playing? How did you get into the whole performance aspect of it? I don't know. Where do I begin? How far back do I want to go? Because actually my dad did bring me a vinyl copy of Paranoid by Black Sabbath. Probably, I don't know. I was probably not 11, maybe. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, he brought me a copy of Led Zeppelin. It was Led Zeppelin uh, 2. And, uh, and it was Black Sabbath Paranoid, which I still had actually, you know, that he gave me like, I guess 30 years ago now, you know, That's awesome. And, but you know, it's funny how, you know, it, maybe I wasn't ready. It didn't talk to me. Like, so I did not understand what that record was. Okay. And then in middle school, I had a schoolmate that was a total metalhead. And I'm like, oh, what's this? I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> and it's kind of funny how, you know, normally people like, you know, like start off with more like punk, you know, like rock and then switch to switch to metal. I went from basically like 80s Depeche Mode, you know, The Cure, straight up to Suffocation and D-Side and Morbid Angel. Wow, you, you didn't even, you didn't like gradually work your way. You just no. dove right in. Full-blown suffocation, you know, you want their band still and, you know, bolt thrower, you know, all those things. Wow. Back in the days, you know, like we get these magic vinyls were so important and so hard to find in Italy. You have to understand that, you know. Okay. And then Iron Maiden came and I think that Iron Maiden is really, really what made me want to learn how to play guitar. I, you know, the, the, every album is amazing. I don't know how they do it because it's that twin to triple guitar attack now is just insane. Yeah, it's meaningful to a lot of us. You know, it has its history, you know, and, you know, like Iron Maiden, like I remember like probably 1993 or 94, Iron Maiden playing like just like out of nowhere, an outdoor festival for free. They just played a couple of songs. Just say, hey, Iron Maiden is just coming to Rome and playing oh, wow. a couple of songs. I got to Google this. I can't remember the year, but stuff like that. You know, Italians love that stuff. There's a lot of history in, uh, in metal in Italy and Italians love their metal. And it's amazing. So that was like the, the fear of the dark era, Iron Maiden. About actually, probably it was like, you know, maybe right before, like, no, actually, you know, you're right. Probably it was exactly when fear of the dark. Although I, I, I found them before that. Yeah. I, when fear of the dark came out at first, we were kind of weird about it. Like, Oh yeah. Here. It wasn't my favorite. You know, the half that album sounds just like it could be, I don't know, like, Bad Company or some gar- like like that song like Weekend Warrior is the, possibly the worst Iron Maiden song ever made, but they have some amazing like Fear of the Dark. The song is incredible. You know what? I love that record now so much, and I think that you know there's a time and place for everything. I think that you're meant to discover records at a specific time of your life. Life. Yeah. So uh, you know, there's stuff that maybe even you know when it just came out, I didn't care for, and there's now listening to. There's any band, not just Iron Maiden, you know, there's a record that comes out right now or a record came out maybe 20 years ago, but it just speaks to a person at the right time because something is happening in that person's life. I agree completely. Yeah. So the person needs that record. It needs to hear those words. It needs that music. So, and that's why, you know, there's no such thing as good or bad music in reality, honestly, because, you know, you never know, you know, there's a time in your life, you talk so much crap about this band and like 10 years later you hear it and like, Oh my God, I get this now. Yeah. That was me with the band Swans. That's, ex- <laughs> that's, 
I found out about swans in 91, I think, with the uh, White Light from the Mouth of Infinity album. And I didn't like it. It scared the crap out of me. <laughs> I was like, it was like my freshman year in college, and I'm just like, this is just weird stuff. I don't know. This is, and, you know, 25 years later, I ended up having Michael Girard on my show, and I had to go back and, and listen to a bunch of stuff. And I'm like, this is incredible stuff. I, I, I heard the newest album first, uh, uh-huh. Leaving Meaning, and then I ended up kind of working my way backwards. And, I mean, I didn't have enough time to go through the entire discography, but I hit you know, the high points. And I'm like, okay, I like this, I like this, I like this. And then now I'm going back and, and listening to the full albums, like The Great Annihilator and Children of God and, and White Light from the Mouth of Infinity. And it's just amazing, amazing stuff. But back in the early 90s when I first found out about them, it didn't, it didn't resonate. Yeah, it's interesting how that happened. It just, you know, you need to go through something in your life to understand it, you know. And yeah, I can relate, yeah. So was guitar your first instrument? Pretty much, yeah, immediately. Well, of course, you know, in elementary school, we played the accordion, you know. You know what? I'm I'm going to stand corrected. You know, before I talk about guitar, I think that we had in, um, we had a sub-teacher that, in middle school, that told us we're not going to talk about music. We're, we're going to learn about rhythmic patterns. So we literally spent the whole class doing rounds of balloons, clapping hands and learning about, you know, the syncopatic beats and learning about metric and learning yeah. about all those things, which is kind of weird because in the end, you know, music is math, you know, and, you know, of course, you know, it's math that we mold with our experiences and our sensibility, but, you know, it's math in the end. Yeah. So we work with sound engineers because they know the math behind what we do, yeah. possibly more than we do. And I think that was really, really helpful for me to understand the rhythmic element, the, the, the cadence, all these things that really like, once you know them, you can mess with them so that you're not doing the same old thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. It's, you have to know that stuff in order to, to be creative. And this is one thing that a theme that pops up on this show a lot is that you need to have some kind of boundary in order to be functionally creative because if you don't have a boundary, you're just going to flounder. You don't have like deadlines, maybe one form or, you know, picking um, certain time signatures or something. You, know, you, you need some kind of basis in order to be creative. Otherwise you're just going to be paralyzed with, with endless options. Mm-hmm. I especially agree with the deadline because in the end, you know, like I don't want to say that art, you know, you know, is a product, but, you know, music is show business. It's half, you know, show and half business. In the end, we are delivering a product. And I'm not saying this in a monetary way. Uh, I'm saying this because it is a means for communication. Mm-hmm. I'm something because I want to share something with you. Yeah. And I think that, you know, like, especially having hard deadlines with prosthetic and it really help us, you know, st- you know, keep up on our toes and it help us. Okay. We need to get this done. I, nothing will ever be perfect, no matter no matter what. Right. So it's kind of like sometimes I think it's a necessity to just get it out there and just be done with it and share that with the world. Because especially right now with what's happening with the pandemic, people need to find that bond. People need that unity. People need to be soothed or people need to find a connection 
from the musicians slash artists slash creatives. And I think there's really a responsibility right now more than ever for the creatives to deliver as soon as possible, really. Yeah. Because people are home doing nothing. You know, you have have to make sure, I mean, and that's something I just did recently, you know, um, I did a collaboration, you know, a remix of uh, The Daughters and... Like they just, you know, like uh, Nicholas, I became friend with uh, with Nick from Daughters, and then he posted that they will, you know, share their um, their uh, stems for people to remix. And I told him, you know what, I'm not, I don't do this, but sure, I'll do it. And he's like, absolutely, make it happen. And I only have GarageBand at home, you know. I oh purpose- wow! I refuse to buy expensive gear because I believe to work with sound engineers because I want to hear what they have to say. So yeah. I do not like to overproduce at home. Oh, that's interesting. And I and I'm like, dude, I only have I only have GarageBand, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna make it happen and use the toys I have laying around. And that's when really it clicked on me about, hey, you know what? You may have a crappy Mac with GarageBand, but you know what? Now is the time to deliver. Now it's the time to get something out there because there's a lot of people that need to. Let's call it entertainment. Sure, you know, it yeah. need to be. Pain. People need something to fulfill their day. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, there's so many people sitting at a home right now, and they're going stir crazy. They've got cabin fever. That you know, you can't go out and do things. You can't go out and, and experience a new restaurant or uh, go see a, a new movie that's come out. You've got to find something to do in your house. So mm-hmm. you know, people like you putting out new stuff, or you know, bands doing live streams. That kind of stuff is incredibly important. It, it's it's helping people keep their sanity. Oh, 100%. I'm going to jump in on this one because I think it's very important. You know, like our friends in Huntsman did a live stream. They're also our label mates in Prosthetic. And also uh, former podcast guests on this show. Oh, wow. Yeah, I love Huntsman. Oh, I love them. They're great. They're good friends, amazing people. Just so They're just the most amazing people. Yeah, Ray and Chris were on. And it's funny because when Huntsman did their live uh, live stream, you know, and really that was the very beginning of the pandemic, and the chat room blew up. <laughs> I mean, people can, can I swear here? I'm yes. sorry. Can I, okay, people lost their shit <laughs> because it felt like being at a show. It yeah. felt like you know, like we all know. You know, when you go to Chicago, you go to a show. I mean, it's like you're, you're talking like 150, 200 people. We all know each other. It's a big party, you know. Yeah. So it's kind of weird. All of a sudden, you're in a chat. You're not at a show, but you're in a chat room. And Huntsman is playing the video, but the chat room, we're all being dumb and not being, you know, we're just yeah, having a good time. We're having a good time. Yeah. That was, I watched that show. That was great. But I think yeah. they actually did end up releasing that uh, uh, for like, like a download that people could, could pick up if they want. Like, I think, I'm not sure if it was free or not, but. Yeah, I know a, lot, a lot of people are doing stuff for free, though. You know, even Prostatic, you know, record label did a really amazing sound sampler to share. And then, um, you know, you had the Bandcamp Day on May 1st, uh, where, I mean, a lot of bands, you know, like 
literally gave their stuff for free. Um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm very close friend with the guy from Bong Ripper, you know, because Nick from Bong Ripper actually was in our record, you know, he did some special effects. Awesome. Um, and they just straight up, you know, like did their whole discography for pay what you want, you know, yeah. I already, I already have all this stuff on vinyl, but I'm like, you know what? I guess I'm going to have a digital download too now. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, it was kind of cool that a lot of bands did that. It was, there's so many bands like, like medicine boy, they put out their entire discography for free. Uh, and I think it actually, it's still free at this point. I think you can oh, see. I'm going to write that down. Yeah. <laughs> medicine. Oh, I love medicine boy. Yeah. <laughs> Another podcast guest too, Andre Leo. Oh wow! So yeah, man. I, and this is one of the cool things about this show is, is that I end up staying in touch with a lot of these guys. Like so, uh-huh. so Andre, I, you know, I, actually they put all their stuff up, but I still paid Andre for for his stuff just because he was such an awesome guest. So it was up for free. I'm like, I, nah, I, I don't feel right. I'm gonna still put a little money in the till for you. So. Well, the joke that I was having during the Bandcamp day is that if something was, I, w- I try to pay 6.66 for everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 let's go. I wouldn't go there. My bank called me. They blocked my card. Oh, yeah. No. Like, yeah, what's going on? You have all these charges for 666. <laughs> oh, my God. So... At purchase number 42, they stop. I mean, some of the stuff I, I, I couldn't afford, you know, I think yeah. like I didn't pay everything, you know, whatever I could, but some people that I know really needed the money. Yeah. I, I helped them out, especially for like demos, you know, or especially young bands. I think that I said, absolutely. You're a young band. I'm going to go ahead and give you what I can, you know, yeah. and, uh, just, or just run it up. There was a band from Sweden that I had to do the currency to make sure that, in U.S. dollar, would show up at six six six. It was six point fifty five sag, uh, something like that. Oh, I don't remember. Yeah, so I had I did, a, I had a problem, but it was because uh, I'm trying to think. I, I had a bunch of stuff, and uh, they didn't like my bank. Didn't like converting things to euros or something. They 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 everything that was domestic was fine, but as soon as it had to go overseas, they're like, no, some this is weird. So I had to call them up and say, no, I'm, I actually want to buy this stuff. And they're like, oh, okay, run it through again and we'll let it go. But that's probably what happened with me. Because I know I got, I got two text messages, a phone call from my bank, the email, <laughs> me, like, there's something good out in your account. <laughs> like, you're, you're, you're unemployed. You haven't worked in a month. Like, I mean, really, I just stayed at home for a month without leaving the house. And all of a sudden, I'm just like, Shh. Okay. <laughs> and my bank probably was like what's going on something's <laughs> weird something is and they're all 666 yeah, some, some cult has gotten a hold of your bank account oh that's funny <laughs> you know, I, I know my manager my bank I told them we were laughing that's fine <laughs> so alright so at what point did uh, you start playing out with bands. Was that while you're in Italy or is that when you came over to the U S yeah, I was in a band in Italy and I was in, you know, and that's actually how I ended up in Chicago. I was actually very active in, um, in the metal scene in Italy and since the mid nineties and I played in, um, I'm, I'm not sure if I want to get into details really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you don't have to worry about details. Bands in Italy. And then, you know, that, you know, it represents who I was and I carry a lot of that with who I am right now. But it's kind of funny how, like, immediately, like, right before I moved here, 
like around the late 90s, I actually switched from metal to different genres. I did the opposite. That's when I discovered hardcore uh-huh. and punk, moved to London, and I got exposed to a lot of um, uh, stuff from Warp Records, you know, like uh, FX Land, Square Pusher, Autoker, and all that stuff. Okay, yeah. And um, I was doing photography, so I was... I went from doing photography to started shooting graffiti artists and break dancers back in the days. Wow. So from there, I got exposed to a lot of soul music and ultimately house music, which is kind of funny how Rome is almost like a twin sister to Chicago for the house music community. Oh, really? Yeah, there's a lot of house music in Rome, you know, compared to like, you know, like other cities where you have more techno or gabber and stuff like that. Okay, okay. And so, you know, I was already exposed, you know, coming from 80s to death metal, to Scandinavian metal, to hardcore and punk, to electronic music, soul music, house music. And then I moved to Chicago. Yeah. And that was weird. Okay. What made it so weird? Well, musically, I know, maybe because, you know, obviously throughout this journey, you know, I was doing more European sounding music and then I moved to Chicago and my very first job was at Reckless Records. Oh, okay. I was exposed to literally the best, all the new stuff and I had the best staff to work with. I mean, I was a dumb 19 year old kid. I was, I was really fresh off the boat (laughs) and... And it's weird because they looked at me like, okay, well, you're doing all this like metal stuff. And here we are, you know, like playing all this. That's the air of Joan of Arc, Tortoise, you know, like all these very Chicago sounding bands that to me, it was a new language. I was not used to that. Yeah. It's like this, like this cacophony, this, you know, and I say this in a compliment, this cacophony, meaning you have this music that is not, like we are used to doing overseas, we were focusing on making something epic and very pentatonic scale focused. And here in Chicago, you have all these, you had all these bands who like, uh, no, I don't care about making it look pretty. I'm not sure what Chicago is like. Yeah. You know, that's a great point. You know, if, you, if you listen to a lot of European metal, it's very grandiose, very big. And if, if but it, it's like very, very, um, layered and complex whereas a lot of the, the stuff and, and i'm just going off of not necessarily chicago metal band but you know some other alternative style bands from, from like the early 90s like hum um you know mm-hmm. they're you know they're they're very noisy there's there's not a there's they're more about shapes and and sounds than than uh building a, a very epic landscape almost of music no, I agree 100%. It's weird. You know, there's this, I don't give a fuck mentality almost. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm not trying to do something classical. I'm just, some, of course, some people I'm just fucking around. Some people I'm experimenting. Some people are purposely having a vision like, no, I'm going to show you what having it rough is like, and it's not going to sound pretty. Right. Yeah. And, uh, or I'm going to show you what being fucked up really sounds like, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, moving to Chicago was truly learning a new musical language for me. Interesting. What brought you to Chicago? What made you decide on Chicago instead of New York or L.A. or uh, anywhere else, really? 
I was supposed to go to New York, ultimately. Uh, my goal when I left, you know, I, I moved to London. I moved back, you know, for a little while. I went back to Rome. And I think that when I went back to Rome from London, I just, Rome didn't cut it for me. You know, it wasn't diverse enough. It wasn't as forward thinking for me. It was poetic and nostalgic and meaningful, but it was not the future that I needed for personal reasons as well. And I remember two stories. First, I was raised watching the TV show Fame. So. Okay, yeah. I want to go, I want to go NYU. <laughs> Number one. Number two, and this is a weird story. You know, we talk about tour story. I'll give you a pre-tour story. All right. Like in the late eighties, um, I was maybe five. I don't know. Four, six, I don't remember. But anyhow, we actually have family in New York because my mom originally, you know, the reason why I'm here legally is because my mom is originally from the States. Okay. Back in the seventies, they all went to the old world to visit Italy, to visit the old world. My mom met my dad and turned around and told her parents, bye, I'm staying. Wow. <laughs> so because of that, all my mom's side of family was in the States. And because of that, every year we would go to the States on vacation. Okay. And then sometimes maybe in the 80s, they all moved, a lot of them moved from New York to the Detroit area, like Royal Oak, Shelby Township, you know, like the, the suburbs of Detroit, you okay. know, on Clam. They're all over the place, really. And so, in other words, I have family in the States. So when I left Rome, no, let me rewind. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm jumping story. Let me put <laughs> this back from the 80s. So. Maybe 1988, I actually went to New York for a wedding okay. and I got bored and I left the house Uh oh! and <laughs> I walked maybe three miles and there was a market underneath a train track. Oh my God. And it was outdoor market and there was a metal band playing. Oh, Wow. To date, I wish I knew who that band was. I was, I mean, we're talking like I was five or six, but I saw the, the guys hand banging on stage and playing heavy, heavy rock or heavy metal, whatever that was. I, I don't know what it was, but I remembered. Yeah. And I think that sometimes when you feel that energy, you know, uh, you just don't forget. Oh, yeah. It obviously had a big effect on you. Yeah, of course. You know, I was a kid, and, I, and, and it, but it came later. It's almost like something triggered it later. Wow. So at one point, like I said, late 90s, I, I probably remember about that story of me going, you know, of course they called the police. Oh, yeah. my God. I, I'm like, I, like all the New York police officers were probably looking for me somewhere <laughs> in Brooklyn. And I mean, no, I'm not joking. That was bad, actually. They were like... <laughs> 40 police patrols looking for me. Like, oh my gosh. And then I just walked back and like, hi. Hey, what's and up? Screaming and crying. I'm like, I saw a metal show. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that's one of the big stories along with me watching fame. And, you know, we talked about music, we talk about photography. So, in other words, I decided to merge, and I always wrote poetry and stuff like that. So, I kind of wanted to merge all these three art forms to combine them and do film. So, my goal in 99 was to move to New York and study film at NYU. Ah, okay. So, my first stop, I just flew to Detroit first because my family from New York moved to Detroit and I stayed with them for a little bit. And... 
I was supposed to be there for maybe like a month and then, you know, figure out, you know, my way to New York. And instead I went to a movie theater and I saw this guy with tattoos and I said, you're going to be my friend. (laughs) (laughs) I have no shame. So yeah, he was working at the movie theater as a cashier and had tattoos. I left, I told my, my aunt, I think I was like, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I was 19. I told my aunt, you, you didn't wait here for a second. I went up to him and said, hey, you're a metalhead or straight edge, right? We're going to be friends. <laughs> That's awesome. And actually, we're very, very close friends. He lives in Austin right now. I was supposed to go visit him uh, in a couple of weeks, but sadly, I have a feeling that the trip is going to be canceled. Yeah. So, yeah. So, basically, um, so, yeah, so we became friends. And, obviously, no, we actually became friends. Yeah. And, we ended up hanging out, going to shows, and he was more of a hardcore kid. You know, I was kind of in between hardcore. You know, I, I didn't give a fuck. I never did. Yeah. I, I labels, limitations, and we ended up going. Um, no, he came out. He hit me up. He said, hey, let's drive to Chicago. I said, okay, cool. Yeah. So we drove to Chicago. That's a five-hour drive just to watch one show. Oh, man. Yeah. Nice. And, what uh, show was it? It was a Limprist, you know, Martin from Los Crudos is uh, Los Crudos is a punk band from Chicago okay. and Limprist was a queer, uh, is, is a gay punk band, you know, like well, Martin is a singer, basically, okay. you know, so I went to the shows, a bunch of other bands, you know, Dearborn Assassin were playing, you know, old, old punk band, crust band from Chicago and uh, we drove five hours to catch the show and some people recognized me. You know, because, you know, I was wearing a Rome straight edge shirt, first of all. Okay. And then, you know, I mean, I was doing shows back then as well. Some people like looked at me like, okay, you're not from here. You know, are you from Italy? Where did you play another day? I'm like, yeah, you know. Wow. What's well, kind of weird. We said, wow, because like, it's funny how somehow before the internet, we just knew. Yeah. I, I know exactly what you're saying. It's hard to express. It, it is, and and you know, kids nowadays they're never they're never gonna figure that out. It was like a vibe. We just knew. Like even when I was in Rome, like you know, we did not have internet, but we knew everything that was happening in Sweden or, or Norway. Oh yeah, yeah. It, you just know. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, Go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Finish, finish the story, man. Finish. The story. Oh, yeah. So after that, you know, like, you know, actually, you know, like somebody recognized me. We thought we were chatting and said, hey, actually, Martin from Moscow, the singer of Empress, uh, uh, became, and I became friends and kept in touch. And then he hit me up, you know, I went back to Detroit for a second. And he said, hey, my roommate moved out. Why don't you move in with me? We'll be roommates. You know, you don't like Detroit. Just come to Chicago. And I was a dumbass 19-year-old kid. I said, cool, sure, let's do it. <laughs> So I moved to Chicago, and that's when I started working at Reckless immediately. And also, most importantly, I started working at Jinx Cafe. And Jinx Cafe was a coffee shop, but and I did not even know back then. That's where we all hung out. You know, I mean, Trevor from Pelican, you know, uh, Larry before before he moved to LA. They used to be called Tusk, and I saw Tusk being formed. Yeah, I've got that album. I was. I think that I was supposed to be one of the guitar players. I, I gotta ask. I gotta, I gotta ask them because I think I'm pretty sure that we talked about me joining Tusk, and then uh, wow. something happened. Because oh yeah, I started on this audience of the end instead, and then uh, the guys from Joan of Arc were there. You know, the guys from Tortoise used to all saw my recording studio across the street, so they were all there. Wow. Uh, and I'll you know, 
Alkaline Trio, like, and I mean, you know, it's it's weird to me because it seems like I'm probably name dropping right now, but it's it's more like I need people to understand my perspective coming from Rome. And next thing you know, overnight, you're working at a coffee shop, and all these people that you bought the records, they're just your regulars. You yeah. see them day. And they're normal and they're human and they have their issues and they have their flaws and they have their quirks. And from there, we all grew, you know, like move forward together. We all like lift each other up on the way up. We all kind of like understood how hard it was getting to live in Chicago because I remember, you know, I used to have a two bedroom for $400 a one-bedroom in Chicago now is fifteen hundred dollars. Jeez! Oh, like Chicago, you know, the gentrification process, you know, has really hurt a lot of people, and I think that because of that, especially, everybody in the community looks out for each other because we know how hard it is, and we know that we allowed each other to do this. You know, there's businesses where everybody has tattoos and nobody cares because maybe twenty. Two years ago, 20 years ago, it, there was not a lot of that. Right, right. But then we all united. We I don't want to say normalized it, but kind of. It's like, next thing you know, like a person from being a musician to a bartender is a business owner. And they can hire their people. And their people are going to have tattoos and mohawks. And next thing you know, like you have 50 people. Next thing you know, you have 100 people with tattoos and mohawks working and that stuff does not matter anymore yeah yeah exactly it's about the integrity and the dignity and i think that chicago is a you know it's a blue collar city and i think that you know a lot of that really reveals itself in the quality of people who live here yeah i I, and that's one of the reasons why i'd love to go and visit i've i've never been able to get to chicago but it's one of one of the places on my list that i really want to go to Mm -hmm. all right so i've got i've got a couple couple more questions for you. I've actually, I've got a lot, but so you're a filmmaker and you've composed orchestral music. How did you start composing orchestral music? Well, I think that being raised in Rome, I was always raised around music and I was always raised with that sensibility. I will give Rome that credit. You know, okay. Rome is a city that talks to you. I think that sometimes in Chicago, you are forced to put your phone down and look at the city in Chicago and talk to the city itself. And the element of fate and the element of energy and passion in Rome is palpable. Okay. And that's what I mean by the city itself talks to you. And it's, you know, it's kind of funny how I was looking at funny videos where like people chanting from, you know, I don't want to spoil it. There's one of my songs talks about this actually. Uh, so this is, you're getting a really big spoiler right now. Eh? <laughs> we didn't, we were, uh, I wasn't planning on that. Yeah. But you know, one of my songs actually talks about this, how like in Rome, it would be absolutely acceptable to look at the balcony and sing and sing and people will join. There is this element of drama and element of passion that Italians are not ashamed of. And there's this element of weak, you know, acknowledging your weakness and when that happens you step back and you talk to the city itself and you look for signs you look for omens and most often rome replies oh wow that's beautiful uh chicago requires a little extra work (laughs) yeah Uh, 
it's getting gentrified. A lot of people are stressed. We are pushed down. It's expensive. The winter hit really hard here. I understand a lot of cities, you know, get hard, hit really hard. Okay. I'm not sure I'll make Chicago, you know, like a, an example, but you know, here, you know, a lot of us, we don't have a car, you know, we ride our bikes. Yeah. We, we walk to the train, you know, we, we walk, you know, a lot, it's a walking city, you know, so you're in the midst of it and, you know, things get hard in Chicago and also different cultural mindset as well, where, you know, I don't want to see, I don't want to talk down about American culture because I think it's absolutely magical and amazing because of its diversity, you know, but there, you still have this, you know, need to be cool, need to be, yeah. there is, you know, I think that my biggest challenge moving here from Rome was to learn about boundaries. You, talk, you brought up boundaries earlier. Yeah. And I think it was very hard for me to understand that coming from Italy. Ah, because everything's a lot more open. I like a lot more open. You let people in your world, you open up quicker. You don't need as much of a shield. Yeah, yeah. And I can, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I mean, uh, a lot of European countries are a little more community oriented, and America is a lot more about the individual yeah yes i mean of course i agree 100 yes and no there's obviously i don't i don't have like to generalize but you know partially but then when it's again interestingly that you know and, and i agree and also because of that but, but when that happens the individual meets a similar individual and then they form a new community okay. they form, yeah then they form a subculture yeah and that's when the musical element comes in so you have these people who are outcasts who are individual and meet a like-minded people who are suffering or struggling just as much. Next thing you know, you have two people, then it becomes three and four and five. Next thing you know, you have a small subculture of musician who have a very similar mindset. Mm -hmm. So I take half of my mindset from Italy, where it's more, you know, dare I say, I don't want to say nostalgic, but, you know, more classical. Okay, yeah. And I merge it with, uh, with the dissonance of Chicago. And I come from film, you know, which really taught me that, you know, everything should have some, some kind of meaning, if not just don't do it, you know? Right, right. Like, I don't, I don't, I barely compose with my guitar you know, anymore. You know, it's about what am I trying to say? We talked about it earlier. What am I trying to say? And if this is what I'm trying to say, what is it going to sound like? Mm-hmm. And and just after this process, I think about the music. Okay. Okay. So well, it's funny how, you know, for the record, you know, the whole record, you know, when it comes down to it, it's a concept album, you know, and um, I had, a, I literally wrote a script around the record. Wow. And... And that's when I realized that, okay, just like in a film, you never see a film that's only, you know, that is flat. You never do. No. You know, there's always, you know, like ups and downs, it's a roller coaster. There's moments of silence and moments are extremely aggressive. There's, you know, that's part of the, you know, the, the, you know, the, 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 I'm not sure how to define it really. I mean, it's the, the narrative itself dictates that ultimately, you know. Yeah, it's the dynamics of filmmaking. You need tension and release. And that's what I took that from. I also applied that dynamic to music when I wrote this record. You know, on okay. top of that, I challenged myself. You know, because I, was, I knew that I want to work, do. You know, it was one of my childhood dreams to do like orchestra metal. And when okay. I say that, I don't mean like you know power metal. When I mean that, 
I mean metal that has an orchestra where the music is interchangeable. So the main melody goes from a guitar and then and then the trombones play it and then the strings play it, and then the clarinet plays it. It's a dance. You yeah. know, I was with watching Fantasia, you know, so I mean, all those things blended together. My parents, you know, loved the spaghetti western. You know, so I was oh, raised. I was raised, you know, listening to Morricone. You know, like I think that's really what's a game changer, if anything. You know, any Morricone is probably my number one influence. In whatever I do, and I think I'm really, really inspired by him because of his limitations. You know, when he recorded his music, he did not have access to an orchestra. And so he had to improvise, you know, sometimes creativity is a consequence of necessity. Mm -hmm. And when I told my bandmates, Hey guys, can we do this? They were really excited to hear what I had to do. They were really excited to see if I could pull it off. And I, I said, Hey, I may have this limitation, but then again, going back, we talked about Chicago. It's all about the community. So guess what? I will shoot up a text message. There you go. So, and people's mind blew up. I said, hey, I, I want to conduct an orchestra for this record. Can you help me? And I think people really lost their minds. I said, absolutely, this is happening. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. Now, but before we get too far into that, I want to know how you met the guys that ended up becoming Varaha. Uh, so we have to rewind now a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Uh, we talked about film. I was active in film. I was in LA for a little while. I moved back to Chicago, and I... I kind of changed career, so I'm not active in film any longer. Okay. And I think that because of that, my soul needed a creative outlet. And I did a rock band for a little while um, in early 2000, but it just, it was not necessarily what I wanted to do. Okay. And, and it's called charcoal. It's more like, you know, like more, it's really, it's very similar to Baraha with no distortion, no harsh vocals, really. Oh, okay. But, but uh, but it was really not what I wanted to do because it did not give me like the open palette. I want to do metal. I'm not gonna lie. You yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> I, I want to play metal. But that's what I really loved. And I think that uh, what really happened is that you know for many many years, Billy from Indian before he passed away worked across from me, and he knew that I used to play metal overseas. That we shared. You know, like I would play him my my riffs on his headphones, like, and he would play me his, like, Fabio here, Lormantes is recording this. Oh, you know, this is the new Indian stuff. You know, that's awesome. And uh, and uh, and he knew that I was a metalhead, and he always told me, own it, do it, make it happen. And at first, I didn't want to listen to it. At one point, I said, fuck it, I'm gonna do it. So I pulled off a Craigslist ad, <laughs> and that's how I met Joel. So I literally said, hey guy, I'm, I'm like, just like. I'm like, at that point, I said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to start a metal band. And I put a crack <laughs> ad saying, uh, looking for bands like Scandinavian metal and also at the gates and also History is Gone and whatever. I put a bunch of different names. I think I, I think I even put Bolt Thrower there. I think <laughs> I put OF at the gates, uh, uh, Bolt Thrower, History is Gone, 
uh, Paradise Lost. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, <laughs> And Joel saw that, and he was, and, and he immediately replied. He's like, "Who the heck is this guy naming these vans in <laughs> Chicago?" You know, but in Chicago, you had a lot of stoner. No, right now, I love the stoner metal community. It's a lot of stoner metal or more aggressive metal, but you know, yeah. not many people were doing the more European sounding, you know, genre. So him and I met, and we clicked, and it's like, cool. You, you know, we're starting a band. You know, little by little, we start adding members yeah. and. Next thing you know, we had a lineup. Next thing you know, we started playing live. And next thing you know, we we did a self-recorded EP and we got it mixed and mastered and we released it. Just like the orchestra in smaller scale, I just texted Bruce Lamont, you know, and I said, hey, Bruce, can you put some saxophone in this? I'm like, sure. I got to <laughs> And that's kind of how Chicago works, really. You know? That's amazing. And then from having two metal tracks with Baraha, you know, to... And uh, an intro with cello and a saxophone. Once we sound with prosthetic, that's when I want to go big. Yeah. And then okay, no, I'm bringing the whole orchestra in this one. <laughs> I want to. I'm going to make my teenage self so proud right now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it's almost like a promise I made my I made to myself when I was 19, and I kept that promise. It's an amazing album, and it's the only one that I've ever heard with. You know, full orchestra, including brass. You know, it's just, it's amazing. It's like this epic soundtrack to an incredible movie. It's, it's amazing. And one of my, uh, let me pull it up here. One of my favorite transitions is from disbelief into refrained. I absolutely love how those two just, just work so perfectly together. Thank you. The yeah. whole, the whole album, but the whole album is like that. I mean, you've got these these quiet, almost post rock kind of uh, of sections, but then you've got you know the the screaming metal, and and then in comes you know brass. It's amazing. I appreciate that. Thank you. It was really challenging. I mean, I think that you know because we talked about it coming, you know, coming from film. You know, I want to make sure there's a thing called you know the art the art of the invisible. Everything has to seem seamless. Everything feels seamless. And I think one of the biggest challenges that we had, I actually, I think it's the first time I talked to this publicly in an interview, actually, um, is that we, the challenge is that we recorded the orchestra before the metal. Oh, really? Yeah, because, you know, we were on a deadline, going back to the concept of deadline with prosthetic. Yeah. And also, the people from the symphony orchestra were caught up because they were about to get into very, very busy Christmas season. Oh, yeah. So I need I needed to get him in and out of the studio right before the Christmas season had begun. And because of that, I literally had to plan out to make sure that before we even started like recording the metal stuff, that I had everything tracked so that in other words, I recorded the full length five times or six times at different BPMs oh, to wow. make sure that, you know, the drummer was happy with the BPM level, but also to make sure that that BPM would match with the symphony orchestra BPM, you know, so I had to literally wow. surgically plan the whole record so that A, the, B, the BPM would change throughout, number one. Yeah. B, that would all flow seamlessly and C also to make sure that, you know, obviously the root notes would change. There will be some element of, you know, sonar, you know, dynamism. I'm sorry, me, SL. Uh, 
Sonar, sonar dynamics. I don't know. But yeah, so. I don't, all, yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Sonics. The Sonic. There you go. <laughs> but, you know, changing that, that actually helps with, with the tension in the album. You know, it, it actually. Like we're saying, now you you recorded the the orchestra. That's set in stone. Now you have to work around that. That that's going to help your creativity. You, whether you know if the drummer's not happy, you've got to figure out a way to make it work together. I think that we did so much, so much pre production that actually went pretty seamlessly. I think that you know a lot of people jump too soon into recording studio. I think that we did so much planning. Everything was on paper. I had sh- music sheets all over my house for literally two months. And <laughs> everything was planned so well because in this scenario, we could not make those big mistakes because yeah. you know, everything had to flow seamlessly and have the, everything has to match. And we also used three recording studios, you know, oh. so we had... I mean, we had two sound engineers, one co-producers, and three recording studios to do this. Wow. Because, you know, like the orchestra needed their whole different, you know, we went for like Nick Broste, who worked with, you know, with Beirut and Wilco and Tysagal. I want to work with him for the orchestra because he understands organic sounds. You know, that's what he does. So when I wanted to work with him, uh, he also performed in Muka Pazza, you know, and that was his world, especially, you know, I love Beirut and he worked with Beirut. So I wanted to learn f- working from him. And then the soloist, I had a separate like place where I want to give them more, you know, I had Chuck Bontrager from the Hamilton musical. I want to give him kind of like his own room to be comfortable. Yeah. I use long time. I'll, I'll, of course I want to work with Mike Lust again, you know, Mike Lust. Oh yeah. Friend of mine, you know, he recorded, you know, Emperor's by Restaurant Circles. He did a lot of my, you know, he did, a, he, he's just the best person, really. So, of course, I'm going to have plus record Chuck from Hamilton, you know? Yeah, yeah. Hey, man, that'd be, that's, that's amazing. Uh huh. And then, of course, the rest, the meat, you know, the metal, you know, we recorded a decade because, you know, it's one of the best studios in the city. So, yeah. and, you know, and um, Adam Stilson, uh, co-produced and uh, mixed, well, he made, no, he didn't co-produce. He mixed and mastered REP, and he did such a good job that absolutely, we, you know, it, I mean, we recorded at home, like basically, and he made REP sound so good. Because, you know, Decade is, you know, obviously it's one of the great studios in Chicago. So we all decided absolutely we are going to Decade to record our full length. Awesome. So, you know, I mean, again, you know, it, it's not about nepotism, you know, and I want to point that out, really. It's not about nepotism. It's just about being there, really. Who's there, you know, and who's there for you, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's a community. And again, going back to the concept of community, you know, who looked out for me when I just moved here? You know, uh, and I was 19 yeah. from Rome, you know, my clust, you know, all these people, you know, that 
we used to hang out back in the days and believed in me when I was a dummy, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> you know, they gave me a chance. So those people become constant in your life. The, the writing for A Passage for Lost Years, was that collaborative? And it's a very complex, dense album. Did you write it all yourself or was the, the whole band involved? No, the orchestra I composed and conducted, so all the orchestral I did. Okay. But when it comes to the metal, I don't believe in I don't believe in that actually because we all fed off each other. You know, Joe Holliday is a co it's a co composer with myself, you know, and I think okay. that him and I are like the yin and yang. We feed off each other. We have very, 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 very similar musical sensibilities. This being said, he he would come up with something that uh I would not think of. And, and I see sometimes, again, we talk about community. The fact of being together really is what makes the difference. Yeah. For example, refrained from our record. In reality, refrained should be refrained part two. There is a song called Refrain, and when we're together as a band, feeding off each other, and we started jamming. I don't like to use the word jamming because we don't jam per se. We present ideas. But sometimes, actually, we jam too, actually. And so imagine I'm writing a melody, or Joel is writing a melody, and Joel has a counterpoint to the melody, which is more impactful or meaningful than my original melody. So we scrap my melody altogether and his melody becomes the new melody. Oh, wow. So it's like a game, you know, you know, like we feel each other in that way or vice versa. You know, he'll come up with an idea. I come up with something on top of it. And then he drops off his idea and he feeds off of what I'm doing to come up with something different. And that's how refrain happened. So we scrapped the original song all together and we collaboratively wrote a song from scratch. Oh, wow. And I think that, you know, there has to be this element of human, you know, like I don't believe in the author theory, you know, in film perhaps because without your crew around you, you are nothing. Yeah. And I think that without my bandmates, I would be nothing. Without them pushing me and inspiring me, of course, sure, I composed the orchestra by myself, but without them challenging me and making sure that, you know, to look at me, to see and make sure that I could pull it off, like, it definitely gives you that energy that you would not have if you were doing things on your own. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and like, in, in music, it, it's a, a Varaha album, not a, you know, a Fabio Brienza album. It's not. Sometimes I point that out. Yeah, I mean, sure, you know, I'm the, you know, I'm the, you know, I function as a band manager, as a band director, you know, I, I have, I'm wearing a lot of hats, you know, uh, it's it, technically my choice, but, you know, because ultimately I created the band and, but when it comes down to it, you know, without Joel or uh, Brian, you know, like it would not be the same. Yeah. We are, and that's when people ask me, why are your influences? Well, our influences are that we are very, very different individuals and that's what creates our sound more than anything else. Right. Now, this is a, incredible album it's a very complex album 
Thank you. Playing it live, playing the music live has got to be challenging because you're not toting uh, an, an orchestra with you. How do, do you arrange it differently or do you just play it without the orchestral parts or how do you guys change this from such an, a, an immense album to playing it in the live setting? I think a Varaha in a live setting is a completely different beast on purpose. I think that, don't get me wrong, there's two, two part, it's a two-part answer. Okay. I think that no, answer number one is that probably eventually we will bring like a partial orchestra with us on, on tour. We're not there yet. We're a young band. We're not positioned to do that because we will have to, you know, we will have to pay people. We're not positioned to pay musicians <clears throat> to do that. But actually, most importantly, I also think that, you know, we are a metal band. And I think that, you know, we want people to have just two different versions of Varaha. You have a Varaha at home, which is slower, more pensive, more that, you know, it's a rainy day. That's what you want to hear. You go through some shit. Trust me, you want to hear a record. Yeah. The, late, the latest one, when you are high as fuck, absolutely listen to our record. <laughs> Apparently, it sounds really good. <laughs> but on a live setting, we want fire. You know, we actually play music you know, a couple BPMs faster. You know, we want that kind of live energy. You know, don't get me wrong. We will, we will play the tarot parts acoustically, but we're not going to bring the orchestra on stage. We're just going to play the metal tracks, and we're going to make an energetic, dynamic experience so that you have two very different experiences from seeing us live where it's more forward and slightly faster, energetic, powerful versus the more calming version of Varaha at home. Okay. Now, and I did see a video of you performing with an orchestral ensemble live. I did that. Yeah. That was really cool. Now, do you do that often? Is that going to happen again? I'm not going to answer that. I don't know. Because, you know, <laughs> other people have been asking that it, it requires a lot of preparation to do something like that. And I think that I would love to do it. But if I would do it again, it would have to be with Varaha. I would bring everybody and do like a special, like a one-time special show and uh, probably a benefit, I think, and and bring the orchestra alive. And then, I don't know, you never know. Sometimes, like, I don't want to say I don't want to plan these things. We talked about meaning, you know, like, is there a reason for me to do that right now? Yeah. I think, I think the very time there was a reason for it because, uh, Chester was on tour and, um, like the empire production, you know, hit me up saying, Hey, I heard you were doing some solo stuff. Do you want to do this? I'm like, sure. And I misunderstood the date and I did not realize that literally I had one month to prepare this. Oh, wow. And that was my motivational deadline to make it happen. And I had a me, I had, I had a, a reason to really get it together. And I think that right now, 
there's a couple of things happening that I cannot talk about, mm-hmm. but, uh, right now, um, what is important and what is, what are we right now? Um, with the pandemic I, right now, I could not pull it off. Oh yeah. Yeah. Let me think about that. You know, like right now, like how can we do something that, cause the studio, the recording studios are closed by the way in Chicago, you know, the, the government has a stay at home order. So like, yeah, it, it gets complicated. You know, I'm not ready to have this conversation, you know, mm-hmm. we just, you know, I don't want to answer it because I would love to, but but just be patient, just wait around and see what happens. Yeah, because we don't know what the future holds yet. Yeah. But now you did do a really great short film, uh, Carantinas, with David Leap. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? Because you, some of Raha's music is in that. Exactly. Going back to what we just talked about. Like, okay, we cannot go to a studio. Okay, I cannot get an orchestra together right now. Okay, I cannot do all these things. What can we do? And I think that despite the suffering, beautiful things are happening. And I think that like it is our responsibility to keep creating and producing if we can. Mm-hmm. And secondarily, I'm a bartender for work part-time, you know, a bartender at three of the main music venues here in Chicago, because obviously it's easier to take time off when you're touring and stuff like that, you know, so just efficient with my lifestyle. But, you know, so music is literally my world. And now there's no tours. If there's no tours, the bartenders are unemployed, the, the photographers are unemployed, the videographers are unemployed, the merch people are unemployed, the booking buyers, you know, town buyers, the booking agent are unemployed. So, you know, it, I think that I approached uh, our longtime collaborator, David Lee, who, again, we talked about he's been there for us since day one. Right. He believed, again, we talked about people who you carry with you in your journey. Generally, the people who, who've been there with you since day one are the people that you will keep with you throughout. Yeah. And David Lee has been there for us since before we recorded the EP, taking pictures of us. And then the record, obviously, you know, he did all photos for Passage and stuff. And during the pandemic, I told him, we got to do something, man. Yeah, That's- I like it. And I said, we, we need to deliver something that is meaningful for the people. And because, you know, I know he's a professional, you know, he, he generally works commercials for Adidas, Nike, you know, and he is also unemployed. Yeah. Yeah. You because it, I was, I was a photographer for a, you know, a decade or more, went to college for it and you're independent. You don't work for anybody. You work for yourself. Even if you've got that great Adidas contract, you're, you, you're not an Adidas employee. So, you're screwed. Yeah. Yeah, you're a freelance worker. You're right. Yeah. And he's, un- he's, un- he's unemployed just like us. Yep. You know? So, I, so, you know, I know he did. And so, you know, because of his commercial work, I know of his expertise of drone shots, you know. And I saw some of his footage and I told him, dude, we need to do this. Let's do this for the Chicagoans and let's do a video for disbelief because you know the you know disbelief the word itself that's how we all feel here in chicago going from a very very international city where everybody's out michigan avenue is packed the magnificent mile is packed to nothing to a ghost town and everybody literally is in disbelief because they cannot recognize their own city yeah 
And that's why I picked that track. So I told David Leap, let's shoot a video of Chicago and let's use this belief as the music to try and connect with the people. And it's funny because, you know, like, you know, this belief itself, the music, you know, in the song, you have uh, a Broadway star, Chuck Bontrager from Hamilton musical. He's a concert master from Hamilton. Oh, okay. Playing at the same exact time as Bruce Lamont, which is, you know, super independent venue, like saxophonist, you know, yeah. like he's in Yakuza. He played in every metal band in, in Chicago. He put a saxophone in. He's an amazing person. So you have these different worlds. You have the independent world, Rentibato, or, you know, other venues, like smaller venues, like Hideout or Sleeping, you know, Sleeping Village to, Broadway, but now we are all in the same plane. Yeah, everybody's equalized. Everybody's equalized. No matter if you're from Broadway musical or from the empty bottle, we are all unemployed. You're unemployed. <laughs> and I think that that's the reason why, you know, it works because, you know, really we're all on the same page in Chicago right now. So <clears throat> we only have each other. And then it's our challenge and our responsibility to do something. And Quarantinas, I told David Leib, it's not about Varaha. I do not want to brand this as a Varaha music video. Okay. This is about, I told him, this is about you. This is about the people who work behind the scenes. This is about the people who are also unemployed because like you said, we're all on the same field now, you know? We're all unemployed. So we did, we, we really, you know, ultimately his film was he edited and he had our music. So, you know, it's not a Varaha music video. It's David's leap video with our music because it tells his story. He's part of our team, but he's also unemployed. Yeah. And, you know, and it represents all those people who work in the arts entertainment industry who got fucked. Yeah. Well, it's a very eerie video it's really amazing and i i really recommend everybody watching i know it's on it's on youtube right is there anywhere else that that would well, nbc premiered a video so you know our premiere was at nbc5 so um you can just you know probably just go on nbc or our website if you, if you check, go to our website yes. varahaband.com we link to everything there awesome awesome well, i would jump i would add something else to it actually yeah we, yeah Really, because I think it's really cool what Prosthetic Records did. Because I was talking with uh, NR Steve Joe about it, and it's very interesting how we made a point, even in a caption of the video of Quarantinas, to link to all the music venues who have GoFundMe for their staff. That you know what I didn't even think about that. That's a great point. So, and because the whole core of the video was about the people who work behind the scenes, you know, including, that includes the bartenders, you know, the town buyers, the booking agents, you know, at the music venues, you know. And I think that it was very important for us that prosthetic, you know, we talked back and forth and we finally finalized together a list of all the venues that have benefits and especially linked with the Chicago Reader because they made a fantastic link with all the places that need a support in Chicago. Yeah. It's a wonderful thing to do. And it's, I'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I, I, I didn't even think about that. So that that's wonderful. Thank you. Now I want to thank the guys at Brimming Horn Meadery for, for getting us together because they, they, 
I reached out to them. I'm like, hey, because they, again, former podcast guests. And uh, they're like, you got to talk with Fabio from Varaha. You, you, I'm like, all right, all right well, let's do it. Let's do it. So they they were able to hook us up. So I'm I'm really happy they did, man. Thank you for spending so much time. I've had you for well over an hour now. I know you got stuff to do. Thank you so much for spending so much time and and answering my questions and telling me a lot more about how you got into this whole insane world of metal. Thank you so much. I'm, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Where can people uh, support the band? How can they pick up the latest album and, and keep following you guys so when the new stuff comes out, they can pick that up too? Well, of course, you know, our website, varahaband.com, is linked, you know, to all the different, you know, outlets at the very bottom, you know, like social media and such. Uh, there's a smart URL uh, the prosthetic has set up with our with, with all our links as well. Smarturl.it slash varaha. Okay. So, uh, that links to all you know to all the different stores or Bandcamp as well. We want Bandcamp too. Well, that's awesome, man. Thank you again for coming on. It's been so awesome talking to you. It's been a, so much fun. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was amazing. Thank you so much. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.